studying in Jeremiah chapter 46 through 49. I'd like to go ahead and be turning there. Um, that's where we'll be focused tonight. Uh, last night, I got a text from Brother Gerald who uh, let me know that he was extending the length of the class time tonight. And uh, I'm not sure if he did that knowing that I needed the extra time. It was going to be hard going from 55 minutes, like some of my videos, down to the 30-minute mark. Um, or if, if, uh, if, if that wasn't a consideration, but I appreciate the extra time. I didn't give him a chance to take it back. I just said thank you. And uh, so we'll do what we can to fit, uh, fit our class in the time. Tonight is my last class with you. We have two more classes left this quarter uh, from the book of Jeremiah. It's been a weird quarter, uh, but I've enjoyed teaming up with Brian uh, and, and working on uh, providing the lessons uh, over, over the website. And uh, missed your insight, missed your comments, but uh, hopefully it's been profitable for you uh, throughout this quarter. And uh, looking forward to the time when we, we can all uh, be together under one roof again. This time, let's go ahead and start with an opening prayer, and then we'll jump into to our class. Almighty, loving Heavenly Father, you created all things. You are in control of all things. And we know that you are in control even today. And we are so thankful for you, for all that you have done, all that you have promised. And we are especially thankful this evening for this opportunity we have. That we're able to open your word that you preserved for us. We're able to study it, read from it, and, and look for places where we can make application to our lives. We can learn about you, we can learn about your people, your creation, and we can learn from the things that they've done right and the things that they've done wrong. And we can look for ways to make corrections in our own lives where we fall short. And we thank you for this opportunity. We pray that you be with us this, this period of study. Help us to understand the things that you have revealed to us and, and make the correct application in our lives. Father, we pray for those that are suffering, those that are dealing with illnesses and aren't able to be with us. We pray that you would heal them. Please be with those who are mourning the loss of their loved ones. Encourage them. And be with each one of us as we look around to our, our brethren. We look for opportunities to serve and, and encourage and help us to, to do what we can in that, that area. Please be with us the rest of this evening. Help us, everything we do glorify you and be pleasing to you. And all these things we pray in your son Christ's name. Amen. All right. So, like I said, we're going to be in Jeremiah chapter 46 through 49 tonight. And it's going to be a little bit different uh, tonight from some of the content that we've been looking at previously uh, this quarter. Um, we're entering into this last section of the book. Chapters 46 through 51 are actually uh, kind of one, one section together that, that focuses on God's judgments to foreign nations, to the, to the pagan nations surrounding Judah. And 
We're going to look at specifically at 46 through 49 tonight. Brian will look at 50 and 51 next week that deals with Babylon specifically. But we have several nations we're going to look at tonight, and we're going to see what God's plan is for those nations and what, what Jeremiah delivers to them. For some additional study just on your own, this is a very similar section to what other prophets have delivered, such as Isaiah uh, chapters 13 through 23. Uh, Ezekiel 25 through 32, Amos, the first two chapters of Amos, Zephaniah chapter 2. Um, these are all prophets who deliver similar, similar series of messages to the various uh, nations. And you'll notice a lot of similarity uh, between the things we look at tonight and those passages. So it would be good to, you know, to have even to just write, write down next to, to, to the passages and, and make some cross-references there. Um, but before we dive into the specific chapters, I want to take just a few minutes to look at some kind of common themes and just, just some background on, uh, on what we're about to look at. The nations that we're going to be talking about, uh, chapter 46, we're going to deal with Egypt. Chapter 47, we're going to deal with the Philistines. Chapter 48, we're going to look at the judgment on Moab. And then in chapter 49, we're going to look at a, a series of about six or seven nations there, Ammon, Edom. Damascus, uh, Kedar, Hazor, and Elam. Um, and then, like I said, next week, Babylon will be in the, in the following chapters. But in the very first verse of chapter 46 here, we're told what this section is about. We're told what, what, what we're about to read. It says, that which came is the word of the Lord to Jeremiah, the prophet, concerning the nations. As we go through these chapters, then we'll, there will be headers where it says, concerning Edom, concerning Moab. And so on to, to indicate who we're, we're talking about next. But like I mentioned, these are oracles against the nations. And typically, the rest, the rest of this book has been mostly Jeremiah focusing on Jerusalem and on Judah and God's people and the judgment for them and the things that they needed to hear. Um, but here we see uh, a shift in gears to, to, the, uh, to the other Nations, And one interesting thing about the nations we're going to look at is the majority of them have um, a lot of different ties to God's people. Uh, all throughout history, you can go back and track these people. And, and a lot of these nations are familiar to us. We, we're familiar with the names. We're familiar with, uh, with, with, with their part in history. Um, you know, most of these nations have, have been either enemies against God's people. They've been allies for God's people. Or they've been both. And so there, there's definitely a lot of interaction between many of these nations. And in fact, just going back a couple chapters to Jeremiah 27, uh, just in, in recent history of what we've been looking at, uh, we know the king of Edom, Moab, Ammon, Tyre, and Sidon all were trying to get Zedekiah to join forces with him as allies to go up against Babylon. So they, they were all forming a coalition there, and we'll, we'll look at that some tonight. And then Egypt was... The country that Judah kept running to and kept trying to get their support against Babylon. So we see, see some connection there just in, in the recent history we're looking at. Um, again, there's, there's interesting connections uh, going back to the, who, their descent, who, who these nations descend from, uh, from Shem, from Lot, from, uh, from Ishmael, from Esau. Uh, and again, we see their, the, the nation's histories intertwined several times. They meet uh, in di different, different times throughout the Old Testament. Jeremiah was God's spokes, spokesperson, and as his spokesperson, he, he was called in chapter 1, verse 5, to be a prophet to the nations. 
And so we see him fulfilling that part of his ministry with these chapters here, where he is now, now prophesying to the various nations. And in verse 10 of chapter 1, it says, See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, and to build and to plant. And those three things that he's supposed to do are, are very interesting, and they're going to come to play in some of the things that we read tonight. He's supposed to pluck up and break down, he's to destroy and to overthrow, and he's to build and to plant. And, and we're going to see that some of these oracles and, and judgments that we read follow that pattern or, or have those aspects to them. A couple other things to, to keep in mind um, uh, as, we, as we look at these. Uh, look for the messianic assurances that are built into these oracles. There, there, there's a lot of, of – um, while it addresses the physical nations and the destruction of the physical nations and – and the judgments there, there is an emphasis on the spiritual. There's an emphasis on the, the coming hope, the coming restoration, the coming Messiah that, 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 will, be, that will fulfill those things. And, you know, it's interesting. And I, I'll point out just a couple of these. You know, we're going to see this pattern where God tears down a nation. He's going to deliver his judgment and tear down the nation. But then he, he says... But I will restore your nation. I will restore you. And so we could look in chapter 46 at Egypt and 46 verse 19 where he says, Make your baggage ready for exile, O daughter dwelling in Egypt, for Memphis will become a desolation. It will even be burned down and bereft of inhabitants. Jump down to the end of that section in verse 26. and says, Afterwards, however, it will be inhabited as in the days of old, declares the Lord. So here we see a tearing down but also a promise to heal and to lift back up and to build back up. Moab in chapter 48, we see the same thing. In verse 2, it says, There is praise for Moab no longer. Come and let us cut her off from being a nation. Again, going down to the end of that, that section in verse 47, Yet I will restore the fortunes of Moab in the latter days. So again, destruction, but then he will restore and build up. Ammon in chapter 49, in verse 5, Behold, I'm going to bring terror upon you. But in verse 6, but afterward, I will restore the fortunes of the sons of Ammon. And again, with Elam in chapter 49 and verse 37, the same thing. And will scatter them to all, the, uh, to all these winds, and there will be no nation to which the outcasts of Elam will not go. And then in verse 39, but it will come about in the last days that I will restore to the, uh, the fortunes of Elam, declares the Lord. So this is a common theme we see throughout these. Not all the nations have that promise of hope at the very end, but a lot of them have followed that pattern where we see this destruction and, and judgment for uh, the way the nation rejected God and treated God's people, but then also we see this restoration promise. And I couldn't help but think about reading through these things, thinking about the latter days, thinking about what was to come for these Gentile nations. And I think about Ephesians chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11, where Paul's writing to the Ephesians and he says, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you, you who formerly were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, 
who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross by, ha by having put to death the enmity. So these Gentile nations, these, these Gentiles are alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. They're strangers to the covenants of promise. No hope without God in the world. But it's not until the last days here when the blood of Christ broke down that barrier and made both groups into one that we see some of these things being fulfilled then being able to be restored and have that hope. And it's interesting to, to read that in light of the nations that we're looking at and the judgments and, and the punishments that they're going through and, and seeing, knowing that, okay, the Gentiles are going to be restored in a spiritual sense. And there's some that mis misunderstand that point, and we realize, realize this, that they miss the connection between what the prophets say and when they come to pass and when, when, when things, uh, you know, considering what Peter at Pentecost says that, you know, what the prophet said, this, this, is, this is what's happening. This is, what they, this is fulfilling what they said. And there's people that must understand that, and that leads to all sorts of, of various theories about when, uh, when, when nations will uh, occupy certain lands and all sorts of things. But we see here that I, I think there's a real heavy emphasis on the spiritual here when we see the restoration of these nations, um, while, while they're going to be destroyed physically, no doubt, and there's a lot of historical evidence about that, the restoration comes uh, in with, with, uh, with the Messiah in, in the latter days there. So something to keep in mind. The one other thing to keep in mind before we jump into to the chapters itself is God is king of the nations. And that is very clear throughout this section here, that God is king over everyone and everyone is accountable. Sometimes we get tunnel vision and think, look at Judah and Israel. We see, oh, well, God's dealing with Judah, and, and they're, they're the only ones accountable for this. They're the only ones that have to uphold what, you know, the, the law and, and respect for God and things like that. But God is king. God has all authority, and we see that here in, in the way he, he judges and the way he deals with these nations. Psalm 97 describes the sovereign reign of God in the first three verses. And it says, the Lord reigns, let the earth rejoice, let the many islands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness surround him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and burns up his adversaries round about. These nations that try to go against God and stand up against his will have no chance. Fire, will, uh, fire goes before him and will burn up his adversaries. Paul at the Areopagus in Acts chapter 17 also describes God's authority and dominion. And in verse 26, it says, And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their habitation. So God created them. And there's no doubt after reading this book, the book of Jeremiah and these chapters specifically that he holds them accountable, and he can keep them in their place, and he can decide where they go and whether or not they occupy a land or are scattered elsewhere or any of those things. And I think it can be easy for us to just focus in on Judah and just focus in on Israel and their relationship with God. But all, all the time that we're looking at that, there's other nations making choices and, and, and going against God and doing, doing things uh, on their own, and they will be held accountable and judged. 
So with those concepts in mind, let's go ahead and jump in uh, and just do a brief overview of, of these chapters here. And we'll start in chapter 46, where we have this judgment on Egypt. And for timing, we're going to be all over the board tonight with timing. This isn't a chronological, nice, neatly packed chronological section here. Um, there's, there's very few timestamps at all. This, this is one, one uh, judgment here that has a timestamp for us. But, uh, but it's not very clear on a lot of these. But uh, here in chapter 46, we're told that we're in the fourth year of Jehoiakim. Uh, about 605 BC, and that may uh, be be familiar to you. Uh, we've come across that date several times in the book of Jeremiah already. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 25, we've come across that where Jeremiah, uh, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, Jeremiah spoke of the coming captivity and identified that they would be serving Babylon for 70 years in that captivity. So that happened during this same year uh, that Je Jehoiakim was reigning. And actually, in the Septuagint, uh, the, these chapters, 46 through 51, are actually placed in the middle of chapter 25, which is just kind of an interesting note, uh, not at the end of the book like we have now. But you can see a lot of similar language between chapter 25 and uh, these chapters we'll be looking at here at the end of the book. Also, uh, of note is Jeremiah chapter 36 happened uh, in the fourth year of Jehoiakim as well. And if you remember, that's where Jeremiah dictated his words to Baruch in the scroll. Uh, Baruch read the, read the scroll to the temple. It made its way to the king. And what did the king do? He tore it up and destroyed uh, the scroll and destroyed God's words and, and showed that lack of respect. So um, this is a time period that just to give us a frame of reference that, that Jeremiah is delivering this, this judgment on Egypt. And in the first 12 verses of this chapter describe a very humiliating defeat for Egypt. And it's this battle at Carchemish between Pharaoh Necho of, of Egypt and Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. And the way it's set up is in verses 3 and 4 and in verses 7 and 9, the Egyptians go into this battle extremely confident. They are extremely confident. They are prepared. They uh, says they've lined up their horses. Their harness. Or they've lined up. The, their horses are harnessed and mounted. They've polished their spears. Um, seven and nine talks about the mercenaries that they've hired that are coming to to fight with them. They are completely confident. There is no one that's going to stand in their way. They're going to rise up like the Nile and take out anybody that stands in their way. Until we get to verse ten, and we see that. The day belongs to the God of hosts. That's not what's going to happen. God has a different plan for them. And from there, we see chaos and terror. That was God's plan for Egypt. Uh, in verse 5 and 6, they're fleeing in terror. We see the phrase we've seen over and over, terror on every side. There is no escape because they've stumbled and fallen. And we're told in verse 10 that Egypt will be a sacrifice to the Lord. And... Uh, and so we see that the judgment for Egypt is that they're going to lose this battle to Babylon. They're going to lose, and, and they're going to lose to the chosen tool of God, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. It's also mentioned that this is vengeance for God. And you think about Egypt, and there could be plenty to be vengeful about. And you go back to history, all, all the way back to the law of Moses and see that. 
but also even in recent history, Egypt was constantly meddling in the nation of Judah and trying to, uh, you know, they were becoming allies. They were offering safe haven. They were, they were always there for Judah to, to retreat to. Uh, they were also the source, the, the original source of their false gods, the influence that was there. Um, and so that, that's a reason. Uh, Judah saw Egypt in many ways as their savior, as the one they could rely in. And they kept trying to go back to Egypt and get their protection. And, and all of these things came between them and God. All of these things separated them further from God. And so this day of vengeance was going to come on Egypt. Verse 11 and 12 mentions that even with their advanced medicine, even with their remedies that they had, that there was no balm that was going to be able to heal this wound of God's, uh, uh, of God's destruction that he would cause. The next section of the chapter, verses 13 through 26, uh, describes, uh, it continues on describing Egypt being plucked up and then built back up. Uh, most likely, timing-wise, this is after Carchemish. We've now moved on, and this is looking further into Egypt's uh, future here, what's going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar is going to smite the land of Egypt. Cities like Migdol, Memphis, Tapanese are going to be devoured. If you remember from last week's lesson, Brian looked at uh, chapter 44, these are the exact cities where the Jewish exiles who were supposed to go with Babylon and fled to Egypt instead, they settled in these exact cities. And God is going to say, you're not going to find refuge there. I'm going to destroy those cities. I'm going to destroy Egypt. And so the very place that God's exiles look for refuge, those mighty ones that they have, God's going to thrust them down, it says in verse 15. Pharaoh is described here as being a loudmouth. A uh, all bark and no bite, if you will. He, he's completely lost his effectiveness to lead against when, when, it, when compared to Babylon and compared to God's uh, the, the army that God is sending his way. Uh, and then we have two illustrations here as we come to the end of this chapter. Uh, Egypt is compared to a fattened or a pretty heifer that is fleeing from a little horse fly. And I can't think of something more silly thinking about. But embarrassing, a useless, a cow that's going to run from a mosquito, that it, it's completely ineffective to, to do whatever it was supposed to do if it's running away from a horsefly or a mosquito. And, and even their allies and mercenaries that they had with them were fleeing. The second compared uh, Egypt to a serpent that was fleeing from a woodcutter. And this was interesting because the Egypt symbol of power that's in a lot of their artwork was a serpent. And... and God is saying, yeah, you're, you are like a serpent, one that, one that flees from, from a woodcutter. And so we see that, that these two illustrations are here to almost mock the, the abilities of Egypt in, when, they're, when they come face to face with God and his destruction. Ultimately, in verse 24, we're shown what's going to happen to Egypt. Uh, the daughter of Egypt has been put to shame, given over to the power of the people of the north. Their leaders and gods are going to be powerless. Uh, before the one that God chose to perform his judgments. But when we get to verse 26, we have that message of restoration that it will be inhabited again. It's in the days of the Lord. There's also right at the end of this chapter, there, there's two verses that kind of an interesting moment of encouragement for Israel, most likely the ones who were maybe in those cities taking refuge that were, are now finding out, oh, Egypt is, is going to destroy, uh, Egypt is going to be destroyed. 
even though their ally is going to fall, even though Jerusalem will fall, God's promise, God promises to restore them after their punishment. And so we see the, the, uh, the promise for restoration extended to Israel there. That takes us through 46. Let's go ahead and move on to chapter 47, uh, where we're looking at the, nation, uh, the, the Philistine nation. And this is a very brief chapter, seven verses, not, not, not very long. Uh, we don't have timing on this, really, uh, as far as no, no timestamp. But historians place it um, around 609 B.C. Uh, or so based on the reference to Pharaoh uh, invading or conquering uh, Gaza. And so there's, there's, there's that, that that some historians look at. But regardless of timing, we're told that there will be a destruction for the Philistines. The, the, the judgment on them is that they, they will be destroyed. Now, we're familiar with the history of the Philistines. We've come across them before, right? They've, uh, you know, they've had many battles with Saul and David. You think about David and Goliath, the, the, great, the great Philistine, and, and we've had other run-ins with them. Um, but this destruction that the Philistines would experience, it's, it's described as rising up from the north like water. So coming from the same direction as Babylon, it's going to rise up like water. And again, we see this kind of... Uh, this was language used uh, with Egypt, where the river would, would rise up and overtake them. In verse 3, the terror that, that the Philistines are going to experience is so bad that their fathers are going to lose their, even their natural inclination to, uh, to protect their own children. It says the fathers are going to flee. They're so scared. Their hands are limp, and they're, they're going to, to leave their, their children unprotected. And again, like Egypt... Philistines' allies are going to flee. The ones that they that they uh, they sought refuge in, they they had confidence in, are going to leave. Uh, and so we see that being uh, that happening to the Philistines as well as Egypt. Then, despite any signs of mourning or shame or appealing to God, I mentioned shaving bald or gashing themselves or crying out. Despite any any of those uh, any of those opportunities, once God has given an order. Jeremiah says that the sword is not going to stop until it's achieved its purpose. And I think that that's important here that there's nothing they can do once God has set his, 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 set his destruction in motion. He's made his judgment. Nothing they can do is going to stop it. And, and only God would be able to stop it. And the key verse here is in verse 4 where it says, the, for the Lord is going to destroy the Philistines. So we're going to see they're going to be ultimately destroyed. Um, this is one judgment where we don't see the promise of restoration here. So this is an example where we don't see that uh, at the end. Moving on to chapter 48, we're going to see a judgment on the nation of Moab. Now, Moab are descendants of Lot and his daughter, going back to Genesis 19, the nation of Moab, and then also the nation of Ammon we'll look at in, in, in a few minutes. Um, they were also part of this coalition of nations to help stop Babylon. So they were part of this group of kings that wanted to join together to stand up against Babylon. And so we see uh, that they're, they're, they're going to attempt to go up against God's chosen vessel of, of punishment here. One interesting thing about Moab also is that God has been making judgments about Moab since numbers, since, since, since uh, way back. Uh, the days of Balaam, uh, where he cursed Moab uh, there. And we'll look at that in just a minute, prophesying of Moab's destruction. And we know from history that uh, Nebuchadnezzar does actually invade Moab in uh, 582, a couple years after Jerusalem falls. 
so that uh, fulfilling both the judgment in Numbers and here, that, that their physical destruction will, will take place. So to, to the verses here, uh, verses 1 through 10, this first section describes the desolation of Moab here. And what we see in this chapter is city after city described as falling and uh, fortress after fortress being broken down, people fleeing for their lives. Not a, not a peaceful vision here. Um, but something interesting about, about this judgment is God is extremely specific about where, what he mentions here about Moab and the places that will be destroyed and what's going to take place. And while we can't necessarily find a lot of these places today, they, they don't exist, they've been destroyed, it meant something to Jeremiah, it meant something to the people who are reading it, and they, they would be able to know that God is king over the nations and, and did exactly what he planned to do. And I think that's, a, that's interesting to note that it is very specific here in chapter 48. Uh, but we see here that Moab is broken, and Jeremiah uh, encourages the people to flee to save their lives in verse 6. Verse 7 tells why this judgment is coming on Moab. And it says that they trusted in their own achievements. They trusted in their own treasures and their own God. And God was going to deliver judgment on them because of that. Uh, they're going to be destroyed because of pride, because of uh, their self-reliance that they had. They weren't in a covenant with God like Israel and Judah, but they were still held accountable for their pride and their, their uh, self-reliance self in going against God. Verses 11 through 39, this next section really expands on the reasons for their judgment and talks a little bit more about it, um, their pride and even their complacency. Moab is described as a nation that was never tested. It was, uh, maybe it was because of their location. Uh, for whatever reason, they've been able to sit on a shelf like, like, a, like a fine wine that, that was aging, not ever disturbed, not ever poured to different vessels. Uh, they, they were able to just sit there, not, they weren't attacked often, they were never emptied or destroyed or challenged like other nations might have been. But that's about to change here. And they're about to be emptied and they're about to be shattered, Jeremiah says, which brings to mind the imagery of him shattering the jar, right, a couple chapters ago. Um, their God, the things that they trusted in most, the things that they took pride in were about to be challenged. And they're going to be found helpless when it comes to uh, when it comes to being compared with God and His judgment. It's also described that this once great nation, full of pride, uh, that had never been challenged, they're now described as a laughing stock in verse 26, which is the same thing that uh, that, that Israel had been described as. Going on in the chapter, uh, we see basically total domination by Babylon in the remaining verses. That, that they will be completely destroyed. Uh, verse 45 uh, references Heshbon and the forehead of Moab being devoured, which is a direct reference to Balaam's curse in Numbers, uh, so further signifying that uh, this, is, this is their fate. But in verse 47, we see that the Lord will restore Moab in their latter days. That brings us to chapter 49, and we'll cover this one briefly here before our time is up. Uh, chapter 49 here is a series of judgments on various nations. Again, uh, no real timing specified until we get to the last one, uh, Elam, but uh, there's about six or seven nations in this chapter that, that are addressed, and so, so we'll, we'll continue to look at those. Uh, the first six verses focus on the nation of Ammon, the Ammonites. And again, the Ammonites were another nation descended by Lot, uh, back, uh, Lot and his daughter in, in Genesis, and like other nations, they were both an enemy and 
an ally with Judah at one point, and they were part of this coalition that again went up against Babylon. And, and they were also responsible for, for killing uh, Gedaliah, the government that Babylon, uh, the governor that Babylon set up uh, once they destroyed Jerusalem. So they, they were even adversarial, adversarial at that point. In the first few verses here, we learned that Ammon had actually occupied the land of Gad uh, after Israel had been taken captive by, by Assyria. And God asked the question, why is Molech your God settled in my cities? Not only had they, taken part, uh, had, had they taken part of the land that God had given to his people, but now they're also worshiping their God. They brought their God and their worship and worshiping on, on God's land there. And we see that Israel will take possession of, the, uh, of his possessors. They will take back the land that, uh, uh, that they were promised when they return as part of the, as part of the remnant. And we actually see the Ammonites in, in various battles with, with uh, Israel, the remnant, uh, there in the days of Nehemiah uh, when, they, when they do return. In verse 4, we learn that Ammon was a very materialistic, a prideful nation. Again, they were guilty of backsliding. Um, and, and verse 5 tells us what's going to happen to them. Behold, I'm going to bring terror upon you from all directions around you, and the destruction will be thorough. Um, but verse 6, again, we have that message of hope. He says that, that he will restore the fortunes of the son of Ammon uh, there. Then we move on to verses 7 through 22 where we look at the nation of Edom. And I highly encourage in your own personal study, take a look at the book of Obadiah too. Uh, there's a lot of parallels, uh, a lot of things that, that, that are, are mentioned there. But a couple things to point out with this judgment. God asked the question, is there no wisdom in Timon? Uh, Timon was well known for its wise men. Uh, we, we see several references in the Bible to that. And the question God asks, is the wisdom gone? Edom placed their trust in their own wisdom. And they, they placed their trust in their own hiding places and the mountains that they thought were impenetrable. And God is going to say, you can't hide from me. Your, your wisdom is not greater than me. My, my army that I'm going to send to destroy you will destroy you. Um, And Edom's future is described uh, toward, towards the end, around verse 19 or so, uh, compared, uh, it's described as an object of horror, where it's compared to the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. So it's going to be a, a complete destruction. Uh, no shepherd will be able to spare their sheep from the lion God is about to send. And I think it's interesting, it says, whoever God chooses. It doesn't matter who God chooses. Uh, they're, they're not going to be able to withstand that or be spared. 23 through 27, we see the judgment on Damascus. And it goes the same way. Uh, the words, the, the, the things they're going to suffer is helplessness, panic, distress, anxiety, being disheartened. All of these things are about to happen to Damascus in, in the judgment. Um, all their hope that they put in their armies and their location again will be proven to be in vain. Um, 28 through 33, we see Kedar and Hazor. These are uh, some nomadic tribes uh, in that area, not, not as established as, as some of these others. Um, but Jeremiah tells them that they're going to be surrounded by Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon. They will have terror on every side, and they will be scattered. Uh, they will be scattered all over. Uh, and then finally, we'll get to Elam. 
there at the end, uh, verses 34 through 39. We don't know a lot about them. They actually lived on the other side of Babylon. That's where they were located. Uh, they do come into play. They were present in Canaan when the exiles returned from captivity. We also see some Elamites there at the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, which I think is interesting. Um, this this uh, judgment was dated at the beginning of Zedekiah's reign. And we're basically told that the thing that they take pride in, the thing that they're really good at, which is, is a bow, they're, they're really good archers, God is going to break, break down that bow. God's going to break down the thing that they take pride in and the thing that they, they think is, is going to help, help save them from that. But verse 39 says, uh, in the last days I will restore the fortunes of Elam. So again, we see that, that pattern where he's going to destroy uh, and then he's going to build up. That's all I've got for tonight. I think I almost made the time. Uh, really enjoyed studying this book with you guys. Uh, we, we do have one more lesson next week, but I've enjoyed studying with you. I appreciate your attention virtually. I assume you're paying attention. You could have paused, put it on mute. I don't know. But uh, I, I, I appreciate the opportunity, and uh, we'll, we'll go into chapters 50 and 51 next week. As we wrap up, let's consider uh, we, we don't want to leave without extending the Lord's invitation tonight. We don't want to leave without having an opportunity to consider uh, our own relationship with God. We've read the book of Jeremiah so far. We've read these last few chapters looking at the, the nations and their relationships with God. We need to consider our own and what we need to do to make things right. I think one of the biggest takeaways for me when, when I'm looking at the book of Jeremiah actually comes from what we looked at tonight. And that's the idea that Jehovah reigns over the entire world. The Lord is king over all, all nations and all individuals. And as we read through, it's very clear who's in charge. It's very clear who is in command. Judah thought they knew better. Judah thought they didn't need God. Judah thought they could follow after their own idols. They thought they could follow uh, after things that they made with their hands. They followed after surrounding nations. They, they looked to Egypt to save them. They looked to this coalition of, uh, of other nations that, that surrounded them to save them from the judgments that Jeremiah was, was delivering to them. But they never looked at God. They followed after even their own false prophets, the things that they wanted to hear, the peace. They, they didn't want to hear about the destruction that Jeremiah talked about, and they even aggressively rejected it. Uh, it wasn't just that they turned, turned their back, they aggressively rejected it. No leader, no military, no nation, no, no treasure, nothing that they took pride in could stand a chance when it came to God delivering his judgment. And I think that's important for us to, to see as well. I think that's why we're given books like Jeremiah and chapters like this that, that talk about this destruction of, of all the nations so we can learn about God and we can see their mistakes and learn from it and see where we can make changes. So tonight as we prepare to depart, as we wrap things up, we need to remember the nation of Judah. We need to remember that their relationship with God. And also we need to remember the nation of Egypt and the nation of the Philistines and Moab and Ammon and Damascus and, and, and Edom and Elam. The theme was repeated throughout. We, it, was, it was a lot of repetition tonight. We would destroy, God would destroy them because uh, of their pride, and he would take out what they, what they took most pride in, and then he would restore. So what about us? What, what about us today? 
Is God still going to judge us? We don't live in one of these nations we read about. Is God still going to judge us? He, he is. We can turn on the news and we can see some awful things about ungodliness and unrighteousness and injustice and all sorts of things. Uh, the self-reliance, the disrespect. Uh, all of these things we see going on around us today. What would Je Jeremiah's judgment of America be? What, what would Jeremiah's judgment of me be if I was going to read that? What would God's judgment on me be? Our fate isn't decided by the nation like, like, like Judah. It's not decided by our leaders or anyone else. It's decided by us and whether or not we follow God, whether or not we turn our back to him. We each have an individual accountability to God to make, to make our own choices to, to follow him or not. Romans 14 verse 12 says that so then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Hebrews 4 verse 13 says, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The Lord reigns today in heaven. He will judge us individually based on our own choices, based on our own lives. But he's also promised us restoration and hope. That, that we can live with him eternally in heaven, that we can have our sins forgiven. We can be in a right relationship with him. We repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. Whatever your need tonight, we want to help you with that. Whether you need to obey the gospel, you need to be baptized and, and take that first step uh, to submit to him, or if you need to repent and ask for the prayers of the brethren, we want to help you with that as well. Don't, don't let this opportunity go by. But whatever we can do, please come forward as we stand and sing. Thank you.